0: This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to The Clay Young Show. Episode 135 and counting of The Clay Young Show here on Podcast 225.com. How's it going, folks? Hopefully you guys are having a great week so far that you are enjoying the back end of the summer. The eclipse has come and gone, and all of the hysteria around it has been, well, I don't even know what to call it. But people enjoyed it, and that's what's most important, so we'll just leave it at that. But it was a big day. We recorded an interview, the body of which happened on the day of the eclipse, and we'll get to that in just a second. So we did three shows talking about the O.J. Simpson saga. You got a chance to hear from one of the players on the inside of that thing, Tom Lang, who gave, I think, more detail than any of us had ever known. And if you read his book, Evidence Dismissed, you got the impression that there was a lot to this story that was left out somewhat purposefully by some in the media and otherwise They didn't know because there was information out there that we could not have known because of the way this thing played out. But man, I enjoyed those conversations. As you heard in the show, the OJ Simpson trial is something that happened for most of us at a time before social media and before the internet. Like, you know, they're kids now who have been born since the existence of the internet and have had the ability to follow so many things in other places with the internet and Younger people now with social media are interconnected almost all the time, which is a conversation we can have one day as to whether or not that's even good. But I've always been fascinated by it. And then it happened in the 90s. And then, of course, after then, O.J. popped up every now and again. But it wasn't really something that a lot of us paid attention to. And then all of a sudden, last year, for some reason... It was brought back to life. I mean, it wasn't like the 20-year anniversary of the verdict or the 20-year mark after the murders. I mean, it was just kind of a random year where in one year you had this FX drama, this series based upon this book by Dr- Jeffrey Tubin, that was something that gave a little bit of a, of a perspective on what had happened in the OJ trial. With these phenomenal actors playing these parts, and I gotta tell you that it was it was fascinating to watch. I thought Courtney Vance, who played Johnny Cochran, stole the show in that series. It was pretty amazing to watch his acting prowess. I thought John John Travolta, who was actually a producer in the show, Uh, I joked about it with Tom Lang. I thought his characterization of Robert Shapiro was comedic. I mean, he was so eccentric and so effeminate in the way that he played Bob Shapiro. (laughs) It's amazing that Shapiro didn't sue the hell out of him. You know, and just said, hey, I didn't act like that. Cuba Gooding, as O.J. Simpson, was a bit bizarre because he in no way reminds you of O.J. Simpson in any real way, but... I thought Cuba, Cuba Gooding did a great acting job. The, the problem is he's acting against someone that we knew. But anyway, anyway, not to go too, too much on about that. That pops out. And then not long after that, there was this much-acclaimed ESPN documentary, O.J. Made in America, that I thought was absolutely amazing and was fascinating and was one of the best documentaries I had ever seen. And then this book reveals some details and you go, what? So there are things about that that were left out and it just leaves you shaking your head. So the OJ thing, and and then again this year, which precipitated Tom Lang and I even doing this show together, the parole hearing for OJ, where for three or four days he captivated the media again. For a parole hearing And it's just fascinating So today We're going to talk a little bit about Those shows But about The mental health aspect Of Criminals And criminal behavior And some of the phrases that Tom Lang used In our interview And I think I've got two people who've got A pretty good handle On the way the mind works and on the mental makeup of a person and that's coming up quickly after the break listen as we always tell you spread the word about our show let people know we're out there we love the feedback that we get you can email me directly clay at podcast 225.com if you're ever on itunes and download the show there you can hit the subscribe button you can leave us a review there A star rating thank you very much in advance for that And we appreciate the great feedback that we have gotten on the OJ shows, which I think to date have been maybe the three most captivating episodes of this show that we have ever had. And we are now approaching 140. We're at 135 now. So thank you for being along with us on this ride. We truly appreciate you. Let's take a quick break and come back and get some feedback on the OJ shows and talk a little bit about mental health. We will do that in just a moment. And now today's Manners Minute.
1: Do you want an example of going above and beyond? One of our new Manners of the Heart schools, Highland Elementary needed their mascots paw prints repainted along the edges of their extensive sidewalks that run between their buildings. We gathered volunteers to help in the summer heat the following week, but before the appointed day arrived, teachers at the school had pitched in and completed the project. Not in their summer job descriptions, but then a lot of what teachers do is not in their job descriptions. You may not have children in school or have even visited your neighborhood school, but we all have a responsibility to help the faculty that teach there and the children who attend. Take note of your nearest public school. Visit with the principal and offer to help. Ask what they need. Choose respect. You could be the one to meet their need.
0: Visit hashtag BRRespect at MannersOfTheHeart.org to join the movement and sign the pledge. With respect, Baton Rouge thrives. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Welcome back, and well, guess who's in studio with me today? The hosts, stars of The Waiting Room Podcast, Dr. Mary Catherine Rodriguez, Katie Fetzer, these phenomenal ladies that all of you know about. They have uh, done such a great job with The Waiting Room Podcast, and before we get into what we're talking about today, it really is a once-over for people who have questions about mental health and want to understand it without it being so eggheaded that you get lost in all of the vernacular (laughs) (laughs) of a mental health professional. And so because of that, we're very proud of what the ladies are doing. Mary Catherine, Katie, how are y'all?
2: Hi, good morning or afternoon.
0: Morning, afternoon. somewhere in between. Depends on when people are listening. (laughs) As we sit to record this week's show, it is the day of the apocalypse. I'm sorry, the day of the eclipse. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) As people all around the, the country are scrambling to go and stare at the sky and give their optometrist the chance to build a beach house somewhere because of all of the damage done to their retinas. But... Uh, we, you guys heard the, sh- the three shows. We, we, I did three different episodes with Tom Lang, who was mm-hmm. lead investigator in the O.J. Simpson murder trial, also co-author of the book Evidence Dismissed. Mm-hmm. And I did not know he was going to talk so heavily in terms of mental health. Yeah, and I thought yeah. about y'all as he was talking yeah. about narcissism and narcissistic sociopathy and all of mm-hmm. these things. And so your reaction... To first of all, the Lang interview and how forthcoming he was.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, no, go ahead. No, I was gonna say that. I, I thought it was so impressive about how forthcoming he was. And I think there's a lot to say to you, Clay, on your interviewing style. Mm-hmm. Thank I think you. you made him feel very comfortable. Um as a listener, it was it was so, I kept wanting more. Right. Um so just right off the bat on that, I thought you did a phenomenal Thank uh, you. We went from fans of your show and <laughs> I think groupies.
0: <laughs> well, I, you know, my attitude about an interview is the interviewer should stay out of the interviewees. Right. Mm-hmm. Way.
3: Right. And you know what's so funny is it's very much how people describe counseling yeah. too, is that as counselors when we're working with clients, we Let them we give them the space to talk. Right. And so there's a lot of, quote, interview skills that can be carried over into the counseling room and vice versa. And I thought you did that so well with him in that I was able to actually listen to him as a Mm -hmm. story. So it almost felt like a story unfolding um, instead of so much of a interview interrogation type. Style, which I really liked um, about it. It was just all in all. Right. Very, very, very cool. Don't
0: y'all think I thought about this after listening back to, I think, the second episode, that if I hadn't lived it or been around for it or at least had known it was true, you'd swear this was fictional. I know. Because it seems yeah. like a screenplay mm-hmm. playing out because mm-hmm. so, so much of it is unbelievable. Unbelievable, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was before the internet, really. The internet, right. as we know it, was formed in 96. Mm-hmm. And this thing, the murders happened in 94. The acquittal was in 95. It, it was before, obviously, social media. Mm-hmm. So there was only word of mouth, you know, with people talking in coffee shops or at the around Fire. the water cooler at work. And the book, and I encourage people to buy the book because he doesn't make himself or his partner out to be heroes. In other words, they tell you the truth about what happened they lay it all out mm-hmm. and he owns up to mistakes that were made you know along the way and he said on the show if you find people uh, in law enforcement or any other realm of work who don't make mistakes they're probably a robot right
3: yeah right. that's a good point yeah. right
0: so and 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 I want to talk a little bit about the the mental health aspect of what he meant and I know that mm-hmm. you guys are not we're not going to be diagnosing oj on this show mm-hmm. but just Kind of tell me what your initial reaction was to hearing him Mm -hmm. describe these behavioral tendencies.
3: Well, I think my first reaction, um, and before I answer that, I'd like to say I'm really glad that you are having us on to discuss this because mental health professionals often use case studies, for example, as learning tools to be Mm -hmm. able to learn how we can be better at our job. And Mm -hmm. so this is kind of this discussion is somewhat us looking at it like a case study. So we're not necessarily here to... Um, to diagnose OJ, that would be, you know, we have a sense of integrity and we can't do that because he's not our client. Sure. Um, but with what you're describing, I think what was the most interesting thing to me was how, um, you know, the law enforcement and their experience and their level of experience with how much they are faced with criminals from a day to day basis, they're right. going to have um, enough experience to be able to at least be able to recognize criminal behavior mm-hmm. enough to. Right. Um, understand that and from a mental health perspective, these are behaviors of a sociopath or this is behaviors of a narcissist. And that's what was so impressive to me about Detective Lang is that you could hear just in his discussions about the entire case was, you know, in working with so many criminals, he had the experience and the expertise to be able to know how to interview him, for example, Mm -hmm. or, um, and that to me was was just very impressive.
2: Right. And I, I agree when he was talking about the interview style and how he was able to go into that um, with with um, an open mind, but then also having that mm-hmm. in the back of his, of his head as far as how to approach someone that was presenting the way that OJ was, but right. also how he kept saying it's about facts and it's about evidence. And yeah. he mm-hmm. didn't ever want his perception of OJ's mental health to cloud that. He's like, right. regardless of what I think, here's what, you know, is hard Mm -hmm. facts or evidence and let that speak for itself.
3: True. And I think, cause it's obviously not, um, we are not the first to sit here and quote, you know, talk about OJ's mental health. Right. Right. So, and that's what I loved about that interview with detective Lang Mm -hmm. was he very much just talked about how if people would just come in and do their job, a lot more could get done and a lot of right outcomes could happen. And that was so well said and I couldn't agree with that more is that for mental health professionals it's the same way. We're constantly trying to look from a fact-based perspective. We're trained to know how to put our own perceptions and biases aside so that we can look at things objectively and take ourselves out of the equation. It's not about us. Mm -hmm. It's about the facts in front of you. And Detective Ling talked about how he did that so well in this case and you could really see it in the way he walked through bit sure. by bit yeah. of how this occurred and unfolded
0: well the book is very linear and and mm. how it lays everything out it is so descriptive and talking about the night they got the call at their respective homes detectives lang and van adder and then learning where it was in west l.a And then driving there arriving and then going through the process, taking command of the crime scene, beginning to start a log of the evidence and how the coroner in California is each county's top law enforcement officer, not the sheriff, not the police chief. It's Mm -hmm. the coroner. So the coroner comes and takes hold of the crime scene and the bodies and the whole thing. And he was very careful to lay out that they were suspicious of the Rockingham, you know, estate. Mm -hmm. But they didn't jump immediately to OJ was the suspect. Now, obviously, we know in the case of something like this, the husband or the ex-husband is going to be on that list of people that you take a look at, especially when you learn the history. But you said something earlier, Katie. I want to go back to, Mm -hmm. to, uh, for both of you, Mm -hmm. for lay people as it relates to mental health. When you hear that someone is displaying sociopathic mm-hmm. tendencies. What does that mean?
3: Well, generally it means they have a complete disregard for others and they lack empathy. Okay. So with uh, when someone has a complete disregard for others, they will do things without really having any care of what the repercussions are, such as hurting someone's feelings or hurting an animal and yeah. not caring right. and doing it um, intentionally and purposely without any sort of empathy because they lack that Part, I mean, biologically, that's how sociopaths are built. Yeah, built, sorry. Um, and so that's one of the key characteristics of a sociopath is lacking empathy, um, and also being able to manipulate situations Mm -hmm. that make them look in a certain light. So there's a lot of manipulation behind their behavior. Um, and so of course, you see this a lot. I'm sure in law enforcement, like Detective Lang he had said, he'd worked with thousands of, you know, come across thousands of mm-hmm. sociopaths and right. just his work with criminals.
0: Anything to add to that, MK?
2: No, I, I think that, you know, Katie, to find that spot on, um, and especially like the manipulation, and you see that throughout what the evidence that, and the the conversations that Dr. Detective Lane had with O.J. Simpson to see how that was kind of, like you said, playing out in this linear way mm-hmm. throughout the, the investigation and
0: the trial. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, when he talked about being prepared for the personality and he he didn't know, Mm -hmm. he didn't know. So everybody says, cause I I was, when I watched the ESPN documentary that I see in a completely different light now, as opposed to when I first saw it, I was Mm -hmm. so captivated, captivated by it. Mm -hmm. It still is a great piece of broadcast art. But it isn't now as accurate as I thought it was, sure. Which, sure. which was a shame. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know until he got back that, wh- what they were dealing with. And so they call him to alert him to Nicole's murder. He doesn't ask how she died. He said, who killed her? Which is an odd question. Mm-hmm. Right? And then he never asked about his children. So that that's what they say. Now, I take them at their word. But let's say out there someone says, well, yeah, it could have been a lot different. We don't know. There is no record of both sides of that phone call. Mm-hmm. So
2: right.
0: let's, not, let's, let's say we could give either side the benefit of the doubt. But I choose to give benefit of the doubt to the cops here, at least in this regard, because it was so minuscule in the grand scheme of things. But when he comes back and you read the testimony or you read the transcript of the interview, and you realize there was really no remorse about what had happened. It was, it was not being able to say, hey, where were you? Mm-hmm. How'd you get the cut on your hand? Did you park your Bronco like that? What? what? I mean, it was simple questions. And my first reaction would have been anger because it would have been, how, how could you accuse me of right. something like this? Mm-hmm. Hell no, I didn't do this. Are you crazy? He never did that. And so then they ask him to go back to his home. He takes him back to the home. He gives him a tour of the house. It's like, to me, shouldn't there have been mm-hmm. some kind of, this is ridiculous that you guys are mm-hmm. here asking me this. How could you think I could do this? Well,
3: right. you know what point I think you bring up, Clay, is that you, um, your reaction to this is what probably everyone else's reaction right. would be if they weren't sociopathic. Like you'd right. be appalled. Or, right, right. So it, it's interesting because you you bring up a really good point which is that what are the if we're looking at this situation as not to quote have a, an opinion like we sure, were there because sure, we weren't sure but if we're looking at it as what are the implications what can be learned from this whole right. experience one of the things kind of that makes you wonder is if there were people involved at the table that are able to kind of tell when someone's reaction is, um, that of a sociopath or mm-hmm. a socio it, it, when, when sociopathic tendencies start to kind of be known or displays displayed, how can that be used? And I think Detective Link kind
2: of talked about that.
0: Yeah, 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 a lot. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, well, one of the uh, when I first started my internship way back when, when I um, had gotten my master's, or was getting my master's, one of the things my supervisor told me, and it always sticks with me, and I think about it, and I think what Detective Lang was speaking to in your interview was, everything is all informing. Mm-hmm. You sit back and you listen, you take it all in, and I think he went into that interview with OJ just saying, no matter what he presents with, what he says, his demeanor, all of those things, what he doesn't say, is all very informing. So right. if you take that information, and then you have mm-hmm. um, a chance to, like he said, the investigation, you usually happens once that's all collected right um then you can start to put the pieces of the the puzzle together and one of the things and katie and i were talking Mm -hmm. about this that i felt was very informing is if you looked at because in counseling when you do you know you're you do um demographics or an intake and you find out you know just the the person's history their Mm -hmm. work history and things like that like his profession by nature is very strategic he was an nfl player every move every every play is something that is, is, is calculated, a, yeah, or calculated, practice, all those things. And so he's going to go into every aspect of his life thinking that way. So even if it's just a conversation, he's always one step ahead because by the nature of his profession, he always had to learn how to have to be one step ahead. So that was just one thing that stuck mm-hmm. in to me. interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even if you look at the trial, the trial is is it's like, that's the Super Bowl, right? Well,
0: and then the, one of the guys on the defense team in the documentary said that everything about the courtroom was pre-planned, where mm-hmm. everyone sit, yeah. sat, how it all went. He was uh, OJ's agent or manager or something. And, 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 and you see that. And so... The entire, let me back up a little bit, talking more about that personality trait. How does someone, are there varying stages of it?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, could you explain those varying stages? You're talking about a sociopath? Of of, of a sociopath.
3: Okay, so whenever, first of all, the the diagnosis is called antisocial personality disorder, in parentheses sociopath. That's the term that's used to diagnose an adult with um. With that disorder, before the age of 18, when someone is younger, you can meet diagnosis for what we call conduct disorder, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the child version of a budding sociopath. So these sort of behaviors can oftentimes be recognized in a very... I'm sorry, at my a, um,
0: phone's popping up with all the eclipse nonsense. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. Go, go ahead. So you, um, yeah. I'm sorry.
3: Yeah. So um, I love that your show is so raw. See, it is. Uh, um, Tom
0: Lang loved that too. I <laughs> I love, <yeah. laughs>
3: We're just all sitting here chilling. That's it. right. Um, but no, basically what I was saying was that, you know, as an adult, the diagnosis would be antisocial personality disorder, which is another term. At, uh, than sociopath mm-hmm. um but usually it's diag or can be diagnosed early on so childhood you'll start seeing you'll hear about maybe fire setting or animal killing um mm. and it's usually diagnosed as conduct disorder and that sometimes can turn into an antisocial personality disorder of course keep in mind that you know n- everyone is going to be different sure um and of course even with oj's case we can't sit here and speculate and diagnose we're talking more of a as an overall case study. Yeah, the question wasn't specifically yeah. about him. Yeah, exactly. no, Tom yeah. Lang, right.
0: f- from Tom Lang's perspective, mm-hmm. he can speak to his oh, interactions that exactly. he
3: directly
0: was involved. And it's so amazing on that point when he gets OJ on the phone, mm-hmm. how he was very calculating and how he spoke with him. And how he played into this everybody loves you. It's going to mm-hmm. be okay. It was very smart. It's going to yeah, be it's very, better He's tomorrow. very seasoned. Yeah. And how they said, and the book says, the only time they saw emotion from OJ, mm-hmm. it wasn't in the interview. It was more kind of jousting mentally with them. It wasn't at the house. There was a little bit of an annoyance there. There was some resistance to letting his finger get photographed and the blood taken, but no real breakdown. Mm-hmm book says the first time he kind of broke was after the car chase mm-hmm. and they get back to lock up. And I think Van Adder said to him, you missed your appointment today or something like that. And OJ starts to cry and I'm so sorry and I'm so sorry. and And they were like, it's that's odd. It's like, that's mm-hmm. that's what you're upset about. That's what you're so upset about. And mm-hmm. again, OJ Simpson as an athlete, as a sports commentator, even as an actor in those crappy naked gun movies, (laughs) you know, you didn't see this as a possibility, Mm -hmm. right? You didn't know the history. So what are some signs Mm -hmm. that, and again, you'll see where I'm going with this. So just follow me, everybody. I don't want (laughs) to give a commentary as I go along with the questions, but we'll work. What are some signs of this behavior on the varying levels that you'll say, that you know, you'll notice. Not so anyone feels accused, but some signs that are out there. Right. Of
3: what? Of a sociopath? Uh, yes, yes. Well, I think like we were saying earlier, a, a very telling one is a complete disregard for others' feelings. Yeah. And, you know, they But have that manifests
0: itself in what way?
3: They will do very hurtful, harmful things, very manipulative things that completely just have no regard for anyone else. They might, I mean, I'm being serious when I say sure. throw a cup cup of hot coffee on someone then walk by laughing I mean I've had clients with you know that have been hospitalized with certain um, uh, for certain reasons and it ends up being that they have a sociopathic um, Or antisocial personality disorder, and you'll hear things like that. Like they'll make statements like, "Yeah, well, I woke up this morning, and I didn't know if I wanted to kill someone or pour hot coffee on them, or I didn't, you know." So their thought processes are very, um, in line with just harming other people. I mean, that's one of the classic features of a sociopath. But of course, I think what you're you're kind of getting at too is that not every sociopath is walking around saying, "Hey, I'm I'm harming someone. I'm going to harm someone." So what can you see from the outside? Right. Really, I think the biggest telling thing is a lot of the times it's not so telling. So Mm. they don't necessarily, like, look at, um, was it Ted Bundy? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, he was very charismatic. He was one of those very charismatic, charming characters that on the outside you kind of maybe wouldn't know. But maybe there's this kind of, I I like to call it the creep factor. (laughs) So you start noticing maybe just creepy type odd behaviors. Right. Um, and so a lot of the times I think you don't necessarily know it's not very quote loud or in your face, but sometimes it often is. Yeah. But I think clay it's more so if anything, um, a lot of the times just in their history too. So if you're, if you know that, you know, it's someone that used to do things like set fires or hurt animals and not care, you know, kill a, a dog on the road and just keep driving and laughing
2: that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, like Katie said, that complete lack of empathy, yeah. you know, somebody right. that can't have these like very, what would feel like a very natural feeling for us. Yeah. If we hurt someone's feelings yeah. or we received bad news, like how mm-hmm. we would react in there. It's just kind of glossed over. But like Katie right. said, it's, you know, it's the, the behavior is so manipulative yeah. that, um, they tend to draw you in before. Cause if they walk around just completely being right. this, have this disregard for who right. you are and, right. and lack of life, people are going to run. Yeah. And so they need to be able to manipulate people to have that power and control. Mm-hmm. Power first. and control, yeah. It
0: is, it is, it is to me, I, I try to avoid toxic personalities, Right. And I think toxicity is something every person alive is capable of mm-hmm. because you can have a b- bad day and just, it, I mean, because we're human. I, right. I don't believe in soapboxing morality about certain things. Some things are obvious. But other things like being pissed off because you're having a bad morning and not really being mm-hmm. a fr- in a friendly mood. Hey, we've all been there. Right. But it's interesting because you look at what, how this case played out. And then you juxtapose it to O.J.'s parole hearing, where he says, I have basically lived a conflict-free life. Yeah. It's like, what?
2: He said, no one would ever accuse me of criminal activity. Or
0: coming at them, or <laughs> using a weapon on them. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you didn't remember that thing back right. in 94, right. Yeah. that uh, <laughs> you got accused of cutting I don't I'm sorry I'm gonna have
3: to say I don't
2: remember yeah. what y'all are talking about we, I,
3: I, the parole I watched, hearing, it, yeah. watched the the parole yeah, hearing a, a,
0: a few weeks ago yeah, yeah I didn't get to and watch it it is must see tv by the way <laughs> and maybe the most fascinating part of that whole thing is in the recess where the parole board is mm-hmm. I guess deliberating over what they were going to do a hot mic catches OJ and his attorney talking to some people in the courtroom mm-hmm. and he's just it's like wow yeah and he's he's fascinating because of the the, the duality of his notoriety, m infamy, m whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, to being one of the greatest pro athletes ever. Yeah. And then this personality, it's this would be like for, for people today, this would be like learning Magic Johnson was a murderer. How could you say that? No, OJ was about as heralded as as Irvin is, and it's just it's different.
3: It's an upset. It's a very disappoint. It's a big disappointment for right. a lot of people. people it's people yeah. hard for people to believe. At him. Right. So, right. But, but I think honestly, I kind of want to move the conversation too, because because to right when you were saying that, it made me think how sad
0: yeah. that is. It is.
3: This it it's the saddest part for me is that he that if. You know, well actually I'm speaking to regardless of the fact of whatever the facts were, he did it or not did it, okay. Putting that aside, two people are dead. Yeah. Right. That is right. saddening to me. Yeah. It's still sad. And I keep thinking of their responses, you know, the family's responses and on the documentaries that you've seen and how they're not left feeling closure on anything yeah. Yeah. by the way anything turned out. Right. And so that to me is what is so um it just it makes you look at it from a different perspective and kind of want to ask yourself like what do y'all think can be learned from this like if so, we're looking at this so like
0: we're simpatico in thinking about that so because that's kind of where my mind is about this whole thing so let me ask a question that that's kind of been a running theme of us talking about things for maybe the last two and a half years or so mm-hmm. we've been knowing each other what does what does the O.J. Simpson saga mm-hmm. say about us? Yeah. Because I can, I can say this. It has, it's been captivating to me since it's happened, well, you, and I've that never so stopped normal. right yeah. paying and I think attention to it. I think it.
3: that's very normal. I think that we are like anyone else. Yeah. It's first of all, it's been broadcasted. Yeah. On TV, never gone away. So it's always been in front of us to yeah. watch, as if it were a movie. Sure. Yeah. And so we, you know, we are three people who are completely detached from any of these people involved. Sure. And so we're, it's easy to. Um, consume it when you're watching it as a movie while at the same time being saddened for those involved of course
0: his kids and
3: that's normal right his his
0: his family his siblings his his mother uh, all of them i mean i don't i don't put any of the taint of this on any of them nor nor do i think anyone else should
3: yeah and i think the frustrating factor for for me i'm just looking at it personally is what's so frustrating is that if let's say if he were guilty
0: yeah He's guilty.
3: What can be learned from this entire situation? And from a mental health professional standpoint, like, I love how Detective Lang always kept mentioning it's about the facts. It's Mm -hmm. about the facts. Mm -hmm. So if we are just looking at the facts, which is, quote, the evidence, which only Detective Lang and those directly involved can share and have for the public to consume to then make their own, you know beliefs I guess about the situation what can be learned from it based on those facts what do y'all think
0: I think I think what what this says about us is something that has never not been the truth about us for over a hundred years that many of us Mm -hmm. lack the capacity to detach Mm -hmm. Mm ourselves from racism Mm -hmm. racist behavior and the specter of it Because because this case became all about race. It did, yeah. Yeah. This case became... Undeniably. About... And then even more so, Mm -hmm. you've got the the backdrop of what had just happened with the five cops and the Rodney King incident. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which hovered over this in the beginning. Sure. And then right in the middle of it, the Furman thing happens. Mm -hmm. So now... It is not a department that has some of, quote unquote, those guys who beat up Rodney King. Mm-hmm. Now, one of those guys is involved in this case.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In the documentary, the ESPN, the ESPN documentary, one. one of the jurors said, flat out, this was payback for Rodney yeah. King.
2: Well, it's it's interesting. <laughs> I remember that part, actually. <laughs> what you said in, it, when we first started the podcast, or maybe it was just what we were talking before we started recording, was about... If this would have happened in 2017, but if you look at the te- the racial temperature it, of our country, absolutely, would it not be maybe the same? It, it would thing? be the
0: exact same thing. I, I, you know, let's let's take a step back. Let's say OJ was white and Nicole was white, and this happens, and you have all of this evidence,
3: mm-hmm.
0: we wouldn't be talking about this right now. Well, this the would not still elements be elements
3: would be changed. That's, so we, but that's the right.
0: entire specter of this, mm-hmm. and I think for us. And that's a longer discussion that I'm prepared to have here, but we have got to deal with the pinpoint specific group of people who Mm -hmm. have racial animus Mm -hmm. and the impact that it has.
3: You could not be more right Right. in saying that. I think that I wish more people could see it in that way. And I think that we're getting there, but I think there needs to have be had more conversations about it and it's what's so, and I don't say this in a way to sound like, you know, we sit here and we have the cure for it all. Oh, right. Sure, right. But if you really think about it, it's simple. There's, if you're looking at it from a psychological perspective- Oh, it's a mental
0: illness. No question.
3: No, I was not going to say that. <laughs> no, I believe that, um, but I
0: think it's a I think it's a disorder that, to just have a, an innate hate for someone that you don't know oh, well, that, because yes, of something right, that's based right, upon right, nothing.
3: Right. I was going to go in a different direction. I was going to say Sorry. that I think, no, I think that- um, if you're looking at this from a psychological perspective, there's an emotional wound in communities, right? Sure. And until that emotional wound is healed, we're continuing to recycle and have the same issue. And mm-hmm. the, the role that certain, you know, media plays in, the, in that, you know, it it doesn't help. I think the situation, right? Um, and a lot of times, I think can kind of make it worse. But it almost seems like if we are looking at this case as something that can be learned from like I have to go back to Dr. Detective Ling if people just show up and do their job mm-hmm. well, that's and can he, look at things objectively yeah. and put their biases aside so much so many things would be different well, and right. when I
2: was listening to your interview with him it was like he was screaming in a crowded room because it's like if you just stick to the facts right. then this case should be open and shut yeah. but it was it's not that easy it's not that easy, not that well, easy. and so country, when you talk right. about the emotional wound that we have as a country yeah. you know I think that that Tending to that wound is what needs to happen. Exactly, and but, how do you do that?
0: But it, for me, it's easy. It's it's got to be, it, it can't be from the perspective of grievance, or condescension or anything of the like. And it can't Mm -hmm. be political because I think so often the left-right game is a farce. It is players on the same team, one wearing a home jersey, the other wearing an away jersey, and then an election happens and they switch jerseys.
2: That's a great way to put it.
0: And that's kind of the way it goes because if you want to do the right thing, it is not often the popular thing or Absolutely. the easy right. thing, right? And I think people get caught back and forth, and there's so many things about it that you know, groupthink I think is such a destructive thing and because it's dangerous too. It's, it can it's, be, it, and and you know, you go back and you tie it to the O.J. Simpson trial when you get jurors who admit, oh, this was about Rodney King. Yeah. And Didn't it,
2: one of the jurors do like the, um, yes, put
0: the black power fist yeah. in the air as he was leaving the courtroom? Yeah. It was clear. Mm-hmm. Lang said he knew there's no way yeah. that this jury is going to convict this guy mm-hmm. because it became about something else. Mm-hmm. And this something else is an emotional if we, wound, And yeah. if we continue to leave it undealt with. Right. it is going to yeah. continue to impact what we do. Right.
2: But is the fascination then with the O.J. Simpson trial and the whole saga because of the perfect storm of all of that colliding so. at one time? Oh, I think so.
0: I think it was... it Because you had, people
2: say, where were you... It's the same thing when when yeah. people say, where were you when JFK was shot? People say, where were you when got the O.J. verdict? It's right. become that synonymous with
0: well, and our you, history. But but here's the thing that was so fascinating about the documentary that was that was kind of overplayed on purpose but how he portrayed the different reactions from black people yeah. and white people yeah mm-hmm. and
3: the, you mean the, for the ESPN for ESPN. the ESPN
0: documentary and how
3: yeah how anyone that listening was has to go watch that yeah you just need yeah, to you do.
0: and and it's it's but that case became about something
3: it absolutely else. did yeah. it,
0: it wasn't about OJ Simpson anymore? No, yeah, and he
3: knew that. For those that, yeah. listening who haven't seen it, I mean, they even showed how they went into or OJ's house, pictures on the wall. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, the I defense, the first- The
0: defense team admitted that they pulled oh. pictures, OJ's pictures out, and and basically yeah. blacked out the house, put pictures of yeah. all these you know black uh, historical figures, and they had mm-hmm. the lithograph from uh, from uh, Johnny Cochran's mm-hmm. uh, the Rockwell painting, and just the mm-hmm. whole thing because they knew. We need to make this about race.
3: Right. We need to
0: make this about race and make this a, a, a case against the LAPD. Mm -hmm. And so when Lang tells a story about how he lived in Simi Valley, where the Rodney King uh, beating happened, Mm -hmm. and and by the way, I I there's no way you can explain that away as anything but. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, There's, I, I, and horrible. I and I get that people say, "Well, you know, you didn't see the beginning of it and how it started." I'm sorry. Yeah, there is no Thank explanation for, that. for
2: for doing that to okay. someone. Yeah.
0: Horrific. But Johnny Cochran used that, and so you know the 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 mental health aspect of this. Mm-hmm. What are some reasons why? And and, and make, don't make it about just race because I don't want to put you guys on the spot. What are some mental calculations as to why these kinds of issues are so difficult for people to mm-hmm. engage and be well, able to dialogue about I emotions th-
3: yeah i think a lot of the reason is what we what i was saying earlier which is that because it is such a deep emotional, emotional wound that still exists that has never been healed. It's been kind of band-aided from Mm -hmm. time to time, but it's never been truly addressed or healed in a way that, um, and in addition to that, I think historically all of us as humans, we've kind of been taught at a young age, especially with our, from Mm -hmm. our generations to not talk about the uncomfortable things. Right. To push right. them aside, to push them under the rug, to just say hi or look down and keep walking. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of become our nature to suppress things and to not address them or heal. Yeah. And I think as a mental health professional, of course, we're learning and trying to do the opposite, which is yeah. help people talk right. about yeah. things. right.
2: And that's the thing. At, on, on a higher level or a higher platform, the people that are engaging these conversations aren't coming from it right. as a mental health professional would, right. which is not biased and yeah. not judgmental. Yeah. Objective. And very educated. objective. It's coming from people that have agendas. Sure. Yep. And so what it does is just incite people more.
3: And you know what? I have to say something that um, Mary Catherine had mentioned um, before was that in looking at this whole thing as it was watched, it almost seemed like a trial was just an orchestrated dance. It was. It was. No question,
2: it and it, it, you it was know, it a, kind if, of it was like I was saying like a football game a football game but a big we've seen
0: to dance. we've seen we've seen it happen you know I oh think, time and time again and, and and it becomes about race for instance I'll give you a, a and, and this could probably could rub some people the wrong way but you know that's never stopped me before uh, I believe. It is, it is my belief that because of the evidence, O.J. is likely the person who committed these crimes. Mm-hmm. Okay? My position. Absolutely. But I also believe George Zimmerman should have gone to jail for mm-hmm. killing Trayvon Martin. Yeah. And I've got friends that I who are really good friends who who don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. And I go back because, to me, mm-hmm. this wasn't about white versus black. Mm-hmm. To me, I think that Zimmerman had a bias towards this kid, and I go back to the facts as I know them. Sure, yeah. Fact.
3: And you are he a was, black male.
0: Yeah, right. So. He was told not to get out of his car. He was told by the 911 operator, we don't need you to pursue him. So he initiated the confrontation. Which was, uh-huh,
3: by the way, all known.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, these are so, facts about and, the case. And when people, what I don't enjoy is when we don't like someone and it happens on both sides of political spectrums, sure. we find the fir- the worst thing we can about their past or their decision-making mm-hmm. and we use that to justify...
3: Something in a different yes. place yeah. in time. Yes. Yeah.
0: So now let me just say this where someone says, isn't that what you're saying with OJ? Well, one of those things is he... Beat the hell out of her for a lot of years. And the other thing was like all of the evidence. Like they could have cut him into dozens of pieces and spread him around there and had not more evidence than they had without Mm -hmm. that. Right. So.
3: And you know what? I think not enough people have the evidence. So the fact, or know the facts, because. What you've done with yeah. this interview yeah. with Detective Lang recently is allowed someone who was directly involved with the case, not yep. only directly involved, the lead investigator, yep. who was able to share the facts now yep. and get them out there. And when you doing this show hopefully will allow people to listen to this instead of only looking at these documentaries from places with agendas right. that cut things out. And right. they literally cut and paste and puzzle piece sure. something together yeah. that they're trying to give out for ratings or for whatever reason. Whereas yeah your your podcast that you're doing with Detective Lang, you're not sitting here trying. I mean, I can say this because I know you. Yeah. You're not about trying to get ratings. You're not trying. You just no. want the truth no. to right. be. That's it. You want to have and good and, interviewing. And then and after good, reading
0: yeah. the book, but before reading the book and when I was going to talk with him, I did have a different set of questions.
2: Hmm.
0: And similar, but some things were unknown. Well, because, and I said this to you off the air, because the book lists so much of the evidence and then documents it. Like, they list all of the calls they got on their tip line about who the murderers could have been. And by the way, parenthetically the number of psychics that called them to say <laughs> they had a feeling about who the killer was and they had a feeling about where OJ was and you know I'm I, hey I'm not casting aspersions for anybody yeah. who's going out there and you know
2: that was so popular though at that time the psychic network oh the partial stuff that was a big yeah, I used to get things in the mail yeah. From
0: yeah. Them. oh my <laughs> god the person on mail. television I can hear you Mary I was can uh, a uh, sense te- oh, <laughs>
2: Madame Clara,
3: wasn't yeah, that
0: another oh, one?
2: I could just remember
3: them oh as my kids, gosh. The
0: there was one around here that was like so oh, yeah. popular for well, so New long. Orleans,
3: too. Oh yeah, yeah. Well hell, you them. get drunk
0: enough down there anybody can tell you your right. future. Right. I know your future. You're going to get chauffeured around by <laughs> N-O- NOPD. Right. <laughs> so, well listen, so this I want people to go and listen to the three shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you
3: definitely need uh, you okay. to go listen okay. to yeah. all three.
0: So, Katie's going to yell at me for jinxing her a little bit. Well, <laughs> for, for, no, I won't do it. Okay, I won't do it. She, 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 won't. Let's just say we're working on a surprise for the waiting room. Is that good? Yes. Yes. Can I leave it there? Yes. We can confirm that that you guys are going to talk with Jeff Leduc, Chief Ledoux. Yes, I would like to say that. So,
3: for those of of y'all that are listening, what we were kind of giving a glimpse of in talking with Clay about his, of course, you have to listen to his interviews with Detective Lang, but um, we're trying to be able to use our positions as mental health professionals to educate and inform, and really learn, see how we can learn from big um, events like this in our history to make things better for the future and you know that probably sounds very you know cliche and naive but, pollyanna, we're, but we're pollyanna yeah <laughs> but we're, we're going um, for it. Yeah. but we're i mean truthfully to be yeah. you know to be real about it we we are educated we are yep. either phd or phd in training yep. um and we are honestly the best people for in the position to be able to speak on these issues because as psych professionals in psychology we're the only ones out there that are studying why people act the way they act why right. people do what they do Um, and all of those different factors. And so I'm really excited to be able to talk about it from that perspective and to share that we're going to have a guest Uh um, who is the former police chief of Baton Rouge, Jeff Ledef. Uh And um, he's going to be able to talk with us about law enforcement and mental health and how the two meet and marry or not married or maybe they divorced and then got remarried. (laughs) (laughs) I think
0: think they still are. It's a shame that that being a police officer has become such a political thing that we won't necessarily get into.
3: Well, we might in our episode. You know that. I'll just
0: say that I think we should give each other the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. as believing that the majority of us are better than the perspective that is so spread.
3: Oh, yeah. I agree. I
0: think we... I just had this conversation that sometimes we will leapfrog a compliment to go to a criticism. Sure. Wow. Yeah. And to me, it is a behavior that, and this is just the pseudo non mental health pro uh, yeah. observation, but it is kind of an outcome of how criticisms and critical analysis have been so spread because it's become entertainment to yeah. tear one another down.
3: Yeah, and social media has made it easier it's, to detach right. and to not yeah. care. Right. And right. so the
0: moment you fall for the trap, you get caught because you you will find people like all of us know people who are not happy unless they're miserable.
2: Oh, absolutely. Might be related to some.
0: <laughs> I could <laughs> Just, be too. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and segue to our next podcast episode on <laughs> on family dynamics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you for having us, <laughs> You see how Katie got out of that room? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, check, please. <laughs> All right. The Waiting Room Podcast, you can check it out uh, as you listen to this show now. The final episode for August is up next week, and then it'll be chased right after that on, uh, let's see, Labor Day week with the first episode of September and that one could be a surprising show for you never know yeah. you know you never know <laughs> thank you all ladies for being thank on the Clyde show for thank you
2: us.
3: This is Dr. Mary Catherine Rodriguez, And I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington.
2: We are also your hosts for The Waiting Room Podcast here on Podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on Podcast225.com, iTunes, and
3: the talk One O Seven three mobile
0: app clay young here with john conroy the founder and owner of pest stop do-it-yourself pest control you know john people are often wondering where to go if they want to find out about killing ants termites spiders mosquitoes what have you and it's a concern and you end up in the big box store waiting for an answer and really the answer is go to a pest stop location and ask any question that's exactly right if if you're tired of the mystery all of pesticides Mm -hmm come see us because we'll give you exactly what you're looking for. Not only, you know, what to use, but how to use it. That seems to be the big question. How do I use a professional strength product safely? around my kids and my pets. And it's very easy to accomplish. And you save money in the process. a lot. So if I'm in the New Orleans area and I want to get my hands on the product, how can I find Pest Stop? Well, in Metairie, we're located at 3512 Severn Avenue next to the Peppermill. On the North Shore, we're at 1417 North Highway 190. That's next to Sherwin-Williams or Villarie's Florist. And on the West Bank, we're on the Palco just past the Harvey Bridge. And of course, in the Baton Rouge area at 806 O'Neill Lane, Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution. This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. You know, I want to expound a little bit on what we talked about with some of the race stuff that, that happens in society right now. There's a big discussion about race because of what happened in Charlottesville and this ongoing dialogue about the status of race relations in America now. And it is, it is so draining to talk about, you know? And, and not that it's because it's not a worthwhile discussion to have. I certainly don't mean that at all. I guess I, you start down the road of any issue with the end in mind. So as it relates to race relations, I think for me, this is just me talking with you about this. What's the goal? Now, I don't ask that question because I don't think that it is a worthy discussion to have. I'm asking, what is the goal when you start down this road of, of dealing with race relations? Is the goal to make certain that we expose racists and we make certain that a racist is not in position to use that viewpoint to harm others, okay, I can go with that because I think that that's that's the decent position to take, a decent position to take, that anyone who hates someone else because of his or her skin color should not be in a position to wield power over people having those views. Now, you can't eliminate that possibility from happening. But once you have exposed it, you deal with it in a way that removes that person from the capacity to be able to have a bias against someone based upon something so silly and at the same time so egregious. So that's that's one goal that we can have to say, look, if you're in a position of power, you should conduct yourself in a way that is fair And even if you are uncomfortable with certain cultural differences between yourself and others, and which, by the way, it's a fool's errand to think you're going to get rid of racists from society. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think to do that, you have to be able to control the way that every person in society thinks. And I don't think that that is possible. I just think when it comes to a position, particularly Elected positions, governmental positions in private companies, that's a harder thing to do because unless a company is so large that the impact of them from a public relations standpoint is going to cost them money, it's almost you, you can't take some small business someplace that's got you know a few hundred employees and some bigot who's at the head of it who says, I don't want to hire black people or I don't want to hire white people, and you know, it's 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 a difficult thing to do. Can it be done? Yes. Is it is it a worthwhile thing to say that it's wrong for someone to have those views? Absolutely. But it's different when you're talking about political figures. Now, here is another side to that coin. This issue has become so manipulated. And there are people, in my opinion, who are involved in it, who I don't think want a resolution. They just need to keep this thing going because it allows them to be relevant. And that does as much harm as anything else. Because if you're not looking for a solution, then you're a part of the problem. Charlottesville, for me, is an easy example of why hate doesn't win and why hate should not win. But I I wonder about us having the courage as a society to, while being passionate, also being logical in our effort to deal with this issue. Because it becomes so emotional and so confrontational that we lose the ability to, with level heads, find solutions, which I think should be the end game. Find a solution. But if the end game is to control the way that each of us thinks or control the way one another thinks, I think that that is, again, I I don't know that you can ever accomplish that. Now, I don't believe the majority of American society is racist. Are there racists out there? Absolutely. But I, 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 I don't believe the majority of people are. Do I wake up every day thinking about racism? No, I don't. Do I think it's an issue that should be dealt with in society? Absolutely. Do I think we should have a better effort to treat one another with respect? I do. Because you think about it. If each of us practices treating the other with respect, you eliminate some of the problems that we have. And when I say you don't have to like people to treat them with respect and dignity. Because if we get to a place where we have to like one another, we need to like one another. No, I don't really care about that. There are people that I don't like that I'm never going to like. But even there, but even among the people that I don't like, I try to treat with respect. And I want to be respected, so I try to give it. And in cases where someone acts in, in, a, in such a way that I either just can't respect them or I can't tolerate their presence, I stay away. I don't even leave it up to them to stay away from me. I just I keep my distance. Life's too short for all this drama we're having, people. It's too short for it. And social media has become a cesspool of it. It isn't a place where... Many people exchange ideals in a way to come to a mature, level headed, logical solution to a problem. It's just throw bombs and criticize and name call and groupthink and all this stuff. And again, if people like that, that's fine. I don't have the right to tell you not to be that way, not to like it. I just won't participate in it. I have had many experiences on social media where people have asked me into things for the benefit of either being a part of groupthink, even if it's on the side of something that I may agree with. I'm not jumping into a mob to just pound somebody else. I'm old school when it comes to things like that. If it's, you know, I have close friends that I will share some views with. And then every other thing, you know what, man, if I'm in my business, I'm about serving my clients and making certain they're taken care of. And making certain that people on my team understand the goal and that they have the tools they need to succeed. Being a part of anything where it's so negative that you can't function, it's debilitating. And when flashes of negativity and, and evil happen in society, we so obsess over it. But when something positive happens, some, something that goes on, you realize how little we talk about the effort. And I'm in Louisiana, for those of you listening in other places, in Baton Rouge. Do you realize how little we spend or little time we spend celebrating the efforts of the people in the flood last year? how we spend so little time celebrating the goodness in one another. And I'm not a Pollyanna. There are people who are awful, evil, some people who belong in cages. It is just the truth. But I just think when you focus so much on the abyss of negativity, because it's a bottomless thing, it just saps the life out of you. Otherwise, when when on the other side of it, you can just say, you know what? So-and-so is just an idiot. And is no longer worth my attention. And move on. Anyway. Who's to say that my way of thinking about it is more right than anybody else's? It is just mine and it's the way I view it. And I would hope that at some point we can get to a place where we can have discussions about the serious issues in a level-headed way. That's all. Because it ain't happening now. We retreat to our corners and fire bombs at one another as a society. And I say we because we can all be guilty of it. I just try as hard as I can to try to avoid it because it doesn't make anything better. The insecurity, it just, well, you know, I think I've hovered over this long enough, so... I I just wanted to expound on some things that were said in the interview with the ladies. And, um, you know, maybe it's a discussion we'll have one day. We'll pull some people together. But it's become such a sideshow, man, that it's like, who wants to be a part of that? You know, you work all day long. You come home at the end of the day. The last thing you want is to have just a stinking bucket of turds put in front of you and on, you know, uh, on in the living room in the form of what's on the news to come on. I think I consume less news now than maybe at any point in my adult life. And I think in terms of being informed, I'm just as, or in some cases, more informed. Now, I'm in a unique position where I could probably call some of the principals in lots of areas of government and get information directly from them. But even as it relates to the negativity of society and how we just hover over it, it's just... A pervasion of misery and crap and foolishness. And it's like, ah! And on that bright and shiny note, we'll say thanks for listening to another edition of The Clay Young Show. I appreciate your attention. Hey, send me your thoughts on this. If you disagree or agree with me, hey, I'd love to hear about it. Keep it civil. My email address is clay at podcast 225.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Clay Young BR or on Facebook forward slash Clay Young. Look for the dapper black guy in the suit and a pose that's been ridiculed by so many people. But it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. You guys have a great one. And I'll catch you next time here on The Clay Young Show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Clay Young Show.